Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Donald Trump, this is a major U.S. ally. The Democratic field gets a little bit smaller. And yes, the president did call himself the chosen one. This is the state of America. Denmark, I look forward to going, but I thought that the prime minister's statement that it was absurd, it was nasty. They treat it with kind of a collective shrug and eye roll mm. to a certain extent. That this is Trump being Trump, that they somehow expected it. We got folks not sure if they can afford to buy groceries and prescription drugs at the same time. And a president who's more preoccupied with buying green money. I am the chosen one. He just starts to unravel like a complete basket case. So this week, we're the chosen one, the king of the Jews. We're going we're gonna to stop a state visit to Denmark. It's crazy. It's crazy. Hello, everyone. I'm Kate Baldwin in New York. To our viewers watching around the world, this is State of America. In a week where the president faced real challenges like what to do about the trade war with China, what to do about gun policy in the wake of two mass shootings, what to do about a government report that says ISIS is resurging in Syria. In that same week, the president decided to create a challenge of his own, a fight over Greenland. Not just any fight, of course, one over buying the island. Well, the concept came up and I said, certainly I'd be strategically, it's interesting and we'd be interested, but we'll talk to them a little bit. It's not number one on the burner, I can tell you that. But apparently it really was on the burner, maybe even number one on the burner, because when the Danish prime minister said no, President Trump couldn't take it. Denmark, I looked forward to going, but I thought that the prime minister's statement that it was absurd, that was a, it was an absurd idea, was nasty. I thought it was an inappropriate statement. All she had to do is say, no, we wouldn't be interested. But that is pretty much what she did say. In a statement, the prime minister called the discussion absurd, adding Greenland is not for sale. Greenland is not Danish. Greenland belongs to Greenland. That upset President Trump so much that he abruptly canceled his planned trip there next month. He, of course, announced it via Twitter. The Danish prime minister responded on camera. Uh, It is with uh, regret and uh, surprise that I received the news that uh, President Trump has cancelled his state visit to Denmark uh, on the 2nd and 3rd uh, September. I had been looking forward um, to the visit. Our preparations were well underway. It was an uh, opportunity, I think, to celebrate uh, Denmark's close uh, relationship to the U.S., For the record, that doesn't really sound too nasty either. Make no mistake, a lot of folks at first did think the whole thing was a joke, including, it seems, the former U.S. ambassador to Denmark. I can tell you, if anybody in the Obama administration had brought up purchasing Greenland, we would have been laughed out of the room. 
But it really is no laughing matter, considering what an important ally Denmark is to the United States. Denmark was the only Scandinavian country to approve of the U.S. invasion of Iraq. Danish troops have fought alongside the U.S. in Iraq, Afghanistan and Syria. Forty-three members of the Danish military have died in Afghanistan alone, another seven in Iraq. And Denmark is a founding member of NATO. This is a country, Denmark, that has fought and died alongside American soldiers. I had the great privilege, I I had the great responsibility of going to the Danish government and requesting troops to go to Iraq, to Syria, and they went and they fought alongside our troops and they died alongside our troops. This is not the way you treat a loyal ally. Former President George W. Bush knew how to treat allies like Denmark. He visited in 2005 to personally thank them for sending troops to Iraq. Listen. I want to thank you very much for your steadfast support and for freedom and peace in Afghanistan and Iraq. I particularly want to thank the loved ones, the family members of the troops stationed uh, abroad for the sake of peace and freedom for their sacrifice. Former President Barack Obama also called it, called attention to the importance of the alliance. He invited the leaders of all Nordic countries to the White House in 2016, praising the small country's outsized contributions. There are almost no issues that we deal with, whether in terms of security or economics or humanitarian assistance, where... The Nordic countries are not some of our most reliable and effective and important partners. So if absurd is a bridge too far to criticize President Trump, one might wonder how he would react if another leader called him something like mentally deranged, a mentally deranged dotard, because that is what the North Korea's Kim Jong-un did. And Trump's response was no canceled meetings, love letters. They've never written letters like that. This letter is a great letter. We've made a lot of progress with North Korea and Kim Jong-un. Chairman Kim has been, uh, we've had a, we've really established a very good relationship. A lot of good things are happening. And how about a country like Russia that has struck at the very foundation of American democracy? It's free and fair elections. Again, no canceled meetings. President Trump wants to invite Russia back to the G7 now. But I think it's much more appropriate to have Russia in. If somebody would make that motion, I would certainly be disposed to think about it very favorably. Okay, so why pick this fight with Denmark this week? No one can say for sure, but at least one of the Democrats vying to run against Trump in 2020 has one theory. We've got real problems that we should be dealing with, and he's a master of distraction. So if it's not a distraction, could it be something of a, let's say, higher order? President Trump definitely went there this week. I am the chosen one. Yes, he did. He was actually talking about his efforts in the trade war with China in that moment, but it doesn't change the moment, make it any different. But it definitely is going to go down in infamy that moment. And honestly, so is his quest to conquer Greenland. The president and the prime minister of Denmark eventually spoke. And according to the Danes, it was, quote, constructive, a constructive conversation. Does that smooth everything over or has the quest for Greenland left the mark? The panel is here next. Antagonizing allies, cozying up to foes. This week that was on full display for President Trump. 
foreign policy doctrine or just a uniquely erratic week for the American president. The panel with me tonight, Nan Hayworth is here, former Republican congresswoman from New York, member of the Independent Women's Forum Board of Directors, Alex Burns, CNN political analyst and national political correspondent for The New York Times, Peter Beiner, CNN political commentator and contributing editor at The Atlantic, and David Rhodes, CNN global affairs analyst and executive editor for The New Yorker's website. Guys, there is so much to get to, it almost goes on to two pages today, so I warn you. David, what does the Greenland episode teach us, teach people? I think it's actually very serious, and it's because this all started with actually China trying to build three airports in Greenland. And the reaction to this was handled very well last year by James Mattis, the former defense secretary. He spoke quietly to the Danish government about this. The Pentagon offered some money, and the Chinese uh, backed off, and the Chinese were stopped from getting influence there. This is happening all over Asia. Some administration officials working with Japan and Australia are trying to counter the Chinese. That's how alliances work. That's how this issue should have been handled. That's very important perspective. Um, Alex, what does this say then about Donald Trump's foreign policy or how Donald Trump conducts diplomacy? Is there any suggestion that this was a strategy coming from the administration and how he dealt with this episode? The short answer is no. And I think that we can look at this as sort of one more proof point in the what, what I think has been the obvious reality for a yep. while, that the president's not a strategic thinker. He's not a strategic thinker on domestic policy, on foreign policy, uh, on the politics of his own uh, political campaigns. He is driven by impulse. He is driven by the last person uh, who speaks to him. And sometimes that works out for right, him sometimes it's wildly uh, in, in successful. one way or another. Um, but I think that there is this the clip that uh, we saw earlier of Cory Booker talking about how the president is a master of distraction. Mm-hmm. He will uh, put out a shiny object to distract from one other thing. I've kind of lost track of how many things are supposed to be distracting from other things, according to uh, the president's Democratic critics. Sometimes there's not a plan to it. We know that Tom Cotton, the Arkansas senator, uh, suggested to the president that maybe we ought to get a piece of real estate in Greenland. But beyond that, I I don't think that we can read all that much into this as a strategy. Nan, does it seem worth it now that the moment has passed? What the president, what what we saw happen with the president and and the Danish prime minister and all of it? Well, I think uh, what David and Alex uh, both have said, uh, you know, I would uh, find reasonable interpretations of the way this administration has behaved. Uh, Clearly, uh, Denmark is an important ally. Uh, The president has had, uh, we all know, an unorthodox approach to certain uh, ways of drawing attention to perhaps even subsidiary issues. But one issue that did arise this week in connection with this discussion was the fact that Denmark, for all of its uh, value to us as an ally, and there, there is certainly that, um, still is in arrears on its NATO contributions. And I did hear one member of the Danish parliament express the sentiment that, yes, uh, he does wish that uh, Denmark would step up about that. So, you know, sometimes, uh, you know, drawing attention in one uh, area in a rather unorthodox way uh, brings another issue to the fore. And we do need all of our NATO partners to uh, yeah, get but together. I on think that. yet again, and you can go, go ahead, Peter. I mean, how does it strengthen our case for getting European members of NATO to pay up when we undermine NATO, right, as the most powerful, powerful country in NATO by basically aggressively dissing and insulting our allies and questioning the very foundation of NATO itself, which Donald Trump has repeatedly done? I mean, to me, what this, this says something about the way Donald Trump sees the world, right? The reason you can't sell Greenland is because there are people in Greenland Right. And they deserve to have the right 
to determine which country they believe in, right? Uh, that's the way a, a Democrat would think, right? Small d Democrat, someone who believes in democracy. Someone who thinks of himself as a kind of an empire, of an emperor, would say, basically, I can take control of territories regardless of whether, right? That's the way the United States well, did it in the, early, in the early 19th century. We took the Louisiana Territory. No one consulted the people who were living in these territories because we didn't see Native Americans as, ver as deserving of the rights of deciding which country they lived in. That's the way Donald Trump sees the world. I would disagree with that. Um, but I think this plays into that stereotype of the United States, so that we are sort of arrogant and hypocritical. Our people Why wouldn't deserve... you want to sell the largest island in the world to us right now? Well, we want to buy you. We will buy you and own you. And so it's, this is helping. And I agree, the president is right to confront China. He brings up legitimate yeah. issues. Mm -hmm. It's his methods, and they're not working. This didn't work. This doesn't put pressure on the Danish parliament to pay more money. It doesn't create domestic pressure on Danish politicians. It just alienates Danes. You know, we will buy you and we will owe you. It, I think it doesn't really back. accomplish anything <laughs> at all, right? That if you try to look back on the week that the president has had, not just Greenland, but basically everything he has said uh, in public about uh, Greenland, immigration, the economy, where, what is this supposed to be building towards, mm -hmm. right? That if you're a voter, let alone a member of Congress or a member of a foreign parliament, if you're watching what the president of the United States is saying, if you're looking at the policy material that his administration is floating in public, sometimes on the record, sometimes on background, is it building towards anything at all? Because I, I couldn't tell you what they were hoping to achieve by putting this Greenland thing out there. I, I don't believe that it's a matter of deliberate distraction from another issue. Um, I can just tell you that every Republican I talk to in Washington just looks at this and says, like, what are we even doing here? Yeah, like, what exactly is this? I want to play one more thing that the, I want to play one more thing that the president said today because it was really remarkable. Talk about approach, methods. Another foreign policy threat, I would say, from Donald Trump to specifically Germany and France with regard to ISIS terrorists. Listen to this. We're holding thousands of ISIS fighters right now. And Europe has to take them. And if Europe doesn't take them, I'll have no choice but to release them into the countries from which they came, which is Germany and France and other places. He's literally threatening to, I mean, what he says is to drop ISIS terrorists into ally countries. I mean, like, I don't know. You want to just it's, pontificate on that for again, me? Again, it's, it's um, extraordinary and, and really puzzling. Like, he... ISIS has been a huge success, this huge coalition eliminating the caliphate. And, you know, he wants to pull all U.S. troops out of Syria. That's where these prisoners are being held right, right now. He's going to dump them on our European allies. It, it's, again, you know, where is the strategy, you know? Because right, it is something that they're grappling with, right? Something the, where do we, how do we house exactly. these people? How do we protect, you know, the United States and Europe from these, from these insurgents? This isn't the way to do it, to sort of threaten people. You can, again, talk behind closed doors. It's an achievement, again, for this administration that the caliphate physically yes. doesn't exist. It's, it's, he's squandering that, and it's, it's puzzling. And I'm just going to add one more in because we're running out of time, but there are so many things to throw in there. Then the president also suggesting that he would really like to invite Russia back into the G7. This, regardless of the fact that they have won, I don't even never made any apology for the annexation of Crimea, which is why they were kicked out in the first place. I do wonder, and do you think when you heard the president say that not once but twice, that he is serious? 
I mean, the macro story here is the unraveling of the American alliances, which has been at the core of our power. China is a peer competitor of the United States. Mm -hmm. If America will be more powerful than China, it will be because we have a stronger alliance system. But that alliance system is breaking down. Look at what happened to Japan and South Korea this week. They stopped doing military intelligence. That's a real blow to the American alliance system in Asia. If you were setting out to dismantle the American alliance system so we will no longer have military advantages over China, you would be doing exactly what Donald Trump is doing now. Nan, final thought. Uh, look, it's it's very clear that this administration has uh, members within it who are indeed, as you said, David, working uh, behind the scenes. I think what the president does is bring certain uh, issues to the fore that uh, a lot of Americans haven't been aware of and perhaps should be aware of in terms of uh, how our uh, what our allies may owe to us and things that they they have done and things that they perhaps have not done yeah, and uh, in terms of NATO uh, the president has there are so many other ways to raise something well, there are so many other ways there are so many there are so many ways in which uh, a lot of Americans weren't aware of some of these what uh, but, challenges I mean okay do you think well, do you like the threat should, of just dropping NATO... ISIS terrorists into Germany and France no no okay well, no I think but I think our allies are responsible for working with us to handle these prisoners uh, and not but how do they know the, what to take seriously well they, because they they fully know what to take seriously I'm, I, sure. I'm not clear about that yeah. okay coming up it's just it's not just foreign policy where the president seems to be all over the map it's also when it comes to what to do about gun violence in america what is driving this confusion now that's next we can close up the gaps we can do things that are very good and things that frankly gun owners want to have done but we also have to remember the gun doesn't pull the trigger. A person does, and we have great mental illness. If you are at all confused by that statement from the president about his position on gun safety, you are not alone. President Trump spent the week moving all over the place on this issue, and that's, that's become this issue has become so much more urgent in the wake of the two mass shootings that left 31 people dead, leaving many folks to wonder once again, can you believe what the president says, and if you can, which time? The panel is back with me. Alex, has, have you seen, forget about us, I mean, I guess it would be policymakers. Have you seen anyone settle after this week on what they think Donald Trump would like to see done when it comes to not just like broadly gun safety, but just on like the simple issue of background checks for gun purchases? No, I think that it's not clear that the president has settled on where he wants to be on that. And, and this, again, just goes to the problem of the president not thinking about policy in terms of uh, laws and procedures and systems that the government can set up yeah. uh, and adjust, that he wants to be able to say that he's done something uh, on guns. He doesn't have a particular vision for what that might be. And it does tend to shift based on who the last person he spoke to was, right? That when he was in touch with the National Rifle Association, you immediately heard him uh, strike a really different tone. A couple right. uh, hours or days pass and you hear from uh, Democrats in the Senate that, no, no, uh, people who work on the White House staff are still uh, talking to us about the possibility of background checks. This is all for people who do want to see background check legislation uh, move through the Senate. Uh, very disheartening because even if the president does kind of spin the wheel mm -hmm. uh, on a couple successive days and land on supporting background <laughs> checks, there's no way anything happens. There's no way the Republican Senate majority does anything unless the president really throws his weight 
fully and consistently behind it. And I don't know that we've seen anything so far to suggest that he's about to do that. Or in any historical reference that he's done right. that, period. Do you think he's just do you think he's trying to confuse people? No, uh, no. I think uh, what the president is reflecting is that this is uh, an issue that's not going to be resolved simply by background checks, either, although they should be uh, maximally enhanced. And part of the challenge we have is that uh, all of the laws that are in place have not been fully realized. And that's that's been part of the issue, too. Now, Fix Nix was supposed to uh, help address some of those issues. We have a First Amendment. We have a Second Amendment. Uh, when we talk about mental health issues, which are, are validly part of this equation, because primarily what we want to do is keep deadly weapons out of the hands of people who would commit mass murder or who would commit crimes. Uh, it, but certainly when we talk about even about red flag laws, there are a lot of due process issues that come into play. So this is a long and complex process. It's not simple. And also, speaking as a former legislator, it's not simply up to Congress and the president, although certainly they play crucial roles. Uh, this is something that has to do with the American individual, the family, the community. I mean, it really is. This is a phenomenon that is distinctly American. Right, and the way that it's you, and the way you gauge where people well. are, and the way you gauge where people are, is by polling. And where polling suggests is not where the president is or where the NRA is. And that's there. There is a major well, disconnect well, in when, that. When but you this is these issues other than background checks, issues like mental health. The president doesn't have an agenda on mental health either. Right. right? There's no so position. It's, regardless it's not, of what it's it is. not that we he's undecided on one important right. piece of it, but he's clear on other stuff. Go ahead. That's not that right. It's that, in fact, you're defunding the very agencies that would be trying to create the mental health support systems, right? That's not an actual agenda, right? They, they, that's a distraction. It's something you can throw out there so you don't have to do something on guns. But there's optimizing locus of control. But I think the, the president is missing a tremendous political opportunity. 90% of Americans support universal background checks. These shootings are terrifying. You know, I have daughters in schools that right. go through these drills. This shouldn't be happening. No. And, and it's an opportunity for the Democrats. It'll be interesting to see if anyone steps forward to, to address this. And there will, frankly, and I'm, I'm, I hope this does not happen, but I think there will be more mass shootings in 2020. The statistics tell you absolutely yes. yes. They we stopped three, three. We had three events, and they did right. An extraordinary and, and that's job to the credit of law enforcement. This is one of the areas of consensus among Democrats running for president is that they are not going to be letting this go. At least they say that now until if their attention is changed elsewhere when they're taking on the president. But I am curious... Um, because I would I just like the state of the Democratic primary right now, what you think of two more candidates dropping out of the race this week. One of them, Congressman from Massachusetts, Seth Moulton, and the governor from Washington, Jay Inslee. You've done some great reporting. You've spoken to Seth Moulton on kind of his reasoning why he's getting out. What is he telling you? Well, what he said was essentially that he saw this now as a three-person race um, between Joe Biden, Elizabeth Warren, uh, and Bernie Sanders, and that essentially everybody else is kidding themselves. Hmm. The, the place where Seth Moulton was in this race is that even if it had been a 15-person race, he was not one of those 15 people, right, that he just never registered uh, in the polls. But he is speaking a reality that other campaigns are increasingly feeling, uh, not necessarily that it's a three-person race, mm -hmm. um, but that as the threshold for inclusion in the televised, televised debate uh, rises 
and as Democratic voters seem to, on their own, be kind of winnowing the field, that the barrier to being considered at the same level as certainly somebody like Elizabeth Warren or Bernie Sanders, but even at the level of somebody uh, like a Kamala Harris or a Pete mm-hmm. Buttigieg, who's much lower in the polls, but has clearly made a pretty favorable impression on the electorate, it's awfully hard if you're not one of those people to persuade voters to make you the seventh or eighth person in the conversation. And you mentioned Kamala Harris because one campaign advisor is actually offering up a pretty stark reality for them right now to see an saying to CNN about the CNN poll that came out this week that showed her dropping 12 points from her post first debate high, if you will. It's saying a campaign advisor saying it was the lowest, uh, lowest day of the campaign so far. And I was sitting there looking at that saying that's candid. But is that is that one of those, those things where it's like, is this a case of the first step to fixing a problem is acknowledging the problem publicly? <laughs> Kamala Harris has been good on, in debates in the past. She yeah. can be a forceful speaker, so she could come back. But I think her basic problem is, what is the rationale for her campaign? What is her message? Right? I think with Bernie Sanders, Elizabeth Warren, and Joe Biden, you have a rationale, whether mm-hmm. you agree with it or not. Kamala Harris is compelling because she can bring together various constituencies, perhaps, but she's been very fuzzy on a bunch of issues. She flipped up on a bunch of key issues, and I think that reveals the underlying core, which is, why does she want to be president? Mm-hmm. Someone described it to me as the Goldilocks problem. She's not, she doesn't have the, isn't as strongly liberal as a Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren. She's not the real moderate lane of Joe Biden, so she's kind of Goldilocksing in the middle somewhere, and apparently in this case, being Goldilocks is also not good. Um, Thank you guys so much. I really appreciate you for being here. That's the State of America this week. Be sure to listen to our podcast so you can subscribe at Apple Podcasts or your favorite app. We will see you back here next week. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.